But I want to take just a moment and, and look back at 2023 because if you've been around the Lamb's Chapel for a while, and I know that I'm one of the newer guys here, there's been a whole bunch of change in our church over the last 12 or 14 months. And uh, God has been good through it, to us throughout that change. I mean, we go all the way back and, and uh, a generational pastor, and that just, a pastor that's been at a church for years and years, uh, uh, retired and, uh, and told us he was going to retire and, and, and leave our church. And when you have a generational pastor leave, changes happen. Could you bring in a new senior pastor? Now, kind of anecdotal data says that senior pastors that follow generational pastors generally turn out to be interim pastors because it's hard to follow a generational pastor. It just is. We have been so blessed with Scott. Yeah, yeah, you can say, yeah. We have a man that not only loves the Lord, he, he loves this church, he cares about you deeply, and he speaks truth from the Word of God, and it just doesn't get any better than that. And so Pastor Scott has come, but then other changes start to fall in place, and uh, Phil, who, who had done some high school, had, had done high school for us, had moved into young adults because we realized that uh, that's a giant hole in, in, in our culture. Kids leave high school and they get to college and just it, it, through those next few years and they fall off the map of Christianity and we wanted someone that was reaching that group. And so Phil makes this move and then Lydia comes for high school and, and Jesse is in our elementary ministry. Pastor Mike was doing middle school ministry and he moved up to discipleship and... Uh, uh, he, he's our discipleship pastor now, and just we're really excited. That's one of our cultural shifts is this focus on discipleship as, as we move forward. And, 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 so, and the changes just kept on happening, and, and it's going to happen when you have that generational pastor change. Oh, you got a new executive pastor too, some guy. He just ended up here, and you gave him a job. You know, thank you for that. Um, it's... Uh, it's appropriate, though, for me to take a moment and say this. This is for all of you that have been here for the years. Change is hard. All right? Change is hard. And you've been here, and you had a pastor that was here for years, and a culture that was established, and a community that was established. Uh, you may have been involved in a lot of different things, and then uh, that pastor leaves, and, and things start to change. And that's hard, and that's hard to take. And to each of you that have stayed have stood the test and said, no, this is my place for the glory of God, I commend you. I just say thank you for doing that. Uh, you guys are a blessing, and uh, I know how hard that can be to go through a significant leadership change. But God has been faithful, faithful to this church. And I, I just know with all my heart, he will continue to be faithful to our church. Satan doesn't like it, though. Look, for clarity, I believe in a very real and present evil in this world. His name is Satan. And they give him uh, uh, great pleasure to take this church down, to see all of the changes going through and try and create disunity and divisiveness and figure out ways to uh, 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 upset what the Lord is doing here, if you will. Satan wants to lie, steal, and destroy 
wherever he can. And when he sees lots of change in the church, I believe he's intentional about trying to target that. And he would love to do that to our church. And I'm just saying out loud, we will not be taken. We will not be taken. He, he's, he doesn't come straight at you. though. That's the hard part about when you're dealing with the evil one there. He, he doesn't just stand up and start waving a billboard. He, he comes in from the side. He comes in from behind. He, he's on top of you before you realize it's there. And I'll be the first one to confess, man, Satan's gotten you know, in, right in my backyard before I realized he was there. And uh, you, you have to be on guard for those things as you move forward. My analogy is, is he's like a submarine. And for those of you who've been around the, the old World War II movies, do you remember the old war? And all, the boats are all going across the water. They're quiet. And they're trying to slide across the Atlantic Ocean. They're bringing supplies from the United States to England for the invasion. And thousands of Americans died. They never got to Europe. They died as uh, those U-boats, those submarines, they would slide in. They would try and get to the optimal position for destruction before they launched those torpedoes. Because when they did that, there was nothing the ships could do. They were going to get hit. And I think that's how Satan likes to work on us. He, he, he's trying to move in and, and just slide in and, and whisper things and manipulate things and stuff. And before you know it, you're in a mode of confession because he strikes and he lets us know. And for the sake of my metaphor, we're on a convoy. This church, we're on a convoy for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Eat, drink, dance, work, socialize, whatever, everything you do, whatever the activities of your life are, may they bring glory to God. That's the, the, the meaning of that text. And he wants us to do those things. And that's our convoy. We are this group of vessels, if you will, made to bring glory to God. And there are four ships in our convoy, four essential ships for our journey. Wait for it. Worship, discipleship, fellowship, and stewardship. Those are our four ships. Those are the four activities of the church. All right? When you bring us all together, and we're going to look at a passage in a minute, and you look at these four activities, and they really, they kind of overlap, these four activities that I just mentioned there. Those are the ships that, that we travel on, if you will, our activities travel on for the glory of God. Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to pick off a couple of those ships, and we will not be taken. Let's start, though, by reading our primary text. It's Acts 2.4.2. It's this model of the New Testament church. All right, This is that beautiful picture of what the New Testament church looked like Christ has been crucified and risen and God gone and, and, and God starts working through the apostles and they, this church starts to build. And in Acts 2.4.2, we read from God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, may we be a uh, people that brings glory to you in our journey for that. Lord, help us in uh, 2024, Lord, to be a people uh, that brings glory to your name in all, in all these activities, in, in all these different ways, Lord. But uh, we all know it starts with the heart, the heart for you, Lord Jesus. And so on this last day and looking forward to this next year, we say thank you. Glory be to your name. Amen. That passage shows what the, that the new uh, Testament church should be, if you will. It's a, it's a good picture of that. And it begs the question for us, what will the Lamb's Chapel look like in 2024? Uh, uh, for the sake of the big idea, here's the big idea. Being an Acts 242 church in 2024. That's what we're being called for today. That's what we're looking at today. What does that look like when we talk about discipleship, uh, worship, fellowship, stewardship, reaching and raising and releasing undeniable followers of Jesus Christ, our mission? That's our mission. So we're going to break it down. We're going to take a, a little bit of time today and look at these four aspects of ministry. All right. And the first one is worship. We gather together in this place and we do this thing we call worship. Look at uh, Psalm 100 says this. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. What a great picture of worship. That psalm right there encompasses worship. That's godly worship. That word worship has its roots in the English language. It's not traced back to the Greek or the Hebrew. It's, it's an English word. And it means to ascribe worth to God or to declare God's worth. Is a, a great way to say it, declare God's worth. But there are a lot of words that translate to this word worship. And, and out of the, the Hebrew and out of the Greek languages, different words used in different contexts are translated to worship in our scriptures because that's the best representation of that. Hebrew is a, uh, uh, a picture language, if you will. The, the roots of, of Hebrew are, are uh, words that came out of pictures. Well, one of my uh, uh, seminary profs told me that the, the earliest word for mercy comes from the Hebrew word open hand. It's this picture, that, the picture of the open hand, of showing mercy to someone, being open-handed with what you have. Now, the Greek language is different. It's a rational thought language, and, and words were assembled uh, from words developed from thoughts, and so it's a very rational language. So you have these two different languages, which is our primary languages that translate into our Bible, and different words that translate differently depending on the context. A Hebrew word, halal, 
Halal is one of the Hebrew words. It may sound familiar, like you heard it somewhere before, because that's for the root for hallelujah. And this word halal means praise the Lord. I mean, that's a close, literal uh, translation of it. But it also means to boast in the Lord. We always hear, oh, we don't boast. We're Christians. We don't boast. But if you're boasting in the Lord, it's okay. And that word would translate to, to boast in God, to praise God. It could be translated to celebrate the Lord even. All of those would work with halal. But in places, halal is the right word to translate into worship God. Another Hebrew word is yada. It means to, to throw or to extend the hands. It's the giving of oneself. It has this physical feel to it, this physical aspect of worship, of, of adoration. I was uh, here for the, the Christmas program a, a couple of weekends ago. When we had a Christmas program, I was standing up in the back in the balcony there, and one of the big songs came up, and, it was right, and there was a few of you up in front here. You, you just, they just stood up, and the hands just went right up in the air. It was just like all at once. Boom, and there people were singing and, and praising God. That's this word, yada. It means to extend oneself in praise or worship. That word can be translated to worship in the right context. Greek word, proskuneo. Proskuneo, meaning to bow down, to kneel, to be face down. It's an act of respect or submission. Um, Back in the old, old times, one king conquers the other king. The conquered king is on the ground, prostrate before the other king, trying to save his neck. It was an act of absolute worship before the master, if you will, to prostrate oneself. In the story of the Magi, we read, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That's proskuneo him. They came to bow down in full worship. And it gets translated into worship. And then this one, this is a corporate word, liturgia. Liturgia is this Greek word uh, that, that has to do with a corporate sense, all right? It always involves the body, and it can be corporate worship, corporate service, corporate prayer, corporate teaching, corporate uh, duties, if you will, bringing all those things together. When we get, we're liturguing right now, all right? We're, we're hanging out together doing a little liturguing, all right? We, we come together as this people and we worship. There's something about worshiping together that prepares our heart to hear from God. There's something special about this place and that we want to uh, come together and we sing and we pray and we hear a message and we give, we, whatever all those things are. And there's this thing that happens in our hearts as we gather together. Now, I know a lot of you are online out there and you're watching that. And, and if, if, if you're not here right now, I'm not going to throw you under the bus or anything because every once in a while my wife and I are watching online. I mean, there's reasons when we can't get here and we get to watch online. But I'm going to just say out loud, this is a place for us to be. This is where something special happens. I think that's why, uh, in, I think it's Hebrews that says, do not forsake the assembly. Don't stop meeting together for the glory of God. There's something special that happens here. So what will your worship look like 
in 2024. If you notice your little handouts when you came in today, I didn't have any blanks for you to fill in. I just gave you a couple lines to keep some notes in. My first question to you, what will your worship look like in 2024? And this is not about setting goals or New Year's resolutions, although I got nothing against those if they help you. This is mostly about heart. What will your heart be for God in 2024? Because when God has our hearts, his will happens in our lives. It just does. I will say, though, that when we gather corporately like this, I think something special happens. I'll just say it this way. This room right here, this place, when the body of Christ comes together in worship, this is a no-fly zone for the evil one. He has no standing in this room. This is the assembly of God come together to liturgia, to worship corporately and love him. And so I encourage you, I, mean, I don't know what your 2024 worship looks like, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, and maybe it is intended. Maybe it is to say, you know what, I need to be better about this. I need to get down to church on Sunday mornings. Yes, there's convenient ways not to do it, but knowing that something special happens in this place, I encourage you that. It might be something different. I have to tell you, as an executive pastor, I, uh, part of my job is to oversee making sure all the things are going well, not just here, but throughout our church and stuff. And honestly, there's days when I, I walk out of church and uh, I just to myself say, Bobby, did you worship at all? Or were you so busy being the executive pastor you forgot to acknowledge God? That's something I want to work on in 2024. That when I come in this room, I can be present with God and worship him. Now, the second ship in our convoy that we talked about there is discipleship. And we made a big move in 2023 to develop discipleship, to develop that model, if you will, in our church. But what is a disciple? In John 2, we read the story of Jesus' first miracle, changing water into wine. And in verse 211, it says this. This the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. They saw this miracle, the first miracle, something supernatural, and said something like, whoa, dude, did you see that? He changed water into wine. This guy's more than just a good teacher. This guy's special. This, this guy is much more than just a rabbi. And we need to get on board. And the scripture says, and they put their, their faith in him. They fully believed in them. Now, I don't know if they said, whoa, dude. <laughs> Scott, is there a Hebrew word for whoa, dude? I, there might be. Uh, but they said something like that. Because they saw this incredible miracle and decided to become a disciple and to follow him. And a disciple is a follower of a teacher. Uh, the Greek word is mathetes. And this word is used to describe uh, uh, to, uh, being a follower, but it's more than a follower. The literal translation might be le learner. It would be closer to that or even combine that. Following learners. It, it had a lot more import than just how I follow him. You know, I follow him on Instagram. All right. No, no, this is, 
This is an investment in following. This is a life-changing following. They came alongside him and they followed him. And now there were lots of teachers, rabbis, philosophers and stuff, and they all had their followers. All right, and, and this rabbi, they get the best and the brightest and these followers, their, their disciples would follow them and they would learn from them and, and these philosophers and they'd get the smartest, sharpest rhetorical minds and they'd raise these people up and stuff. And Jesus got his followers. I, I imagine that the other rabbis went, dude, your follower picker is broken. Peter, the mouth from the south, Matthew, the traitor, Thomas, doesn't believe anything, and a whole bunch of fishermen. Man, you must have some fragrant small group meetings going on there, brother. I mean, that, you got to look at who Jesus picked compared to what all the other bright minds were picking, and Jesus picks this crew of losers and changes the world, and changes the world with them. See, if we're going to be disciples, we're going to be invested in following Jesus. We're going to say, I, I, I'm, I'm more than an attender, all right? I'm a disciple. I, I'm going to learn, and I'm going to teach, because disciples do both of those things. The last instruction Jesus gave was the Great Commission, saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our mission says we are to reach, raise, and release undeniable followers of Jesus Christ. That's the Great Commission. That's who we are. Go, make, teach, release them. Pastor Mike uh, had shifted from primarily middle school into being our discipleship pastor in this last year. And, and this model is huge for us going into 2024. Uh, we're investing in, in growing our small groups and coming alongside to help them in discipleship. Uh, we, uh, next step classes. If, you, if you're one of our newer people and you're here and you're trying to still learn how to navigate this, stop by the kiosk and see Tess out there for next step classes. She might not be here today, but almost every weekend that, that kiosk is open out there for next step classes and get some information. That's going to inform and guide you on your journey, help you make some of those decisions there. I know Mike also has some additional plans, some things he's going to be revealing real soon, top secret, and, uh, but he's going to talk about those, uh, I think, in the, in the near future, to be disciples. In 1987, I was baptized at a church in uh, Lakewood, Colorado, and uh, that's where I got my Bronco love. I lived in Colorado for 30 years. Man, I could get a little love back just one year. It'd be a good thing. That said, I got saved in, in, in Denver, Colorado. I came out of a, just an ugly background. I didn't know nothing about Jesus, all right? I didn't like Jesus. I didn't like Christians. I didn't want to be a part of them. Uh, the worst in the world were Southern Baptists, and God, in his sense of humor, saved me in a Southern Baptist church, okay? <laughs> True story. I, I, you know, I, I just thought they were the weirdest people on the planet, yet 
I was saved there. And I got baptized, and I'm, I'm baptized, and uh, I think it's the same day. I'm still half wet and stuff, and this guy comes up to me. Hey, Bobby, Bobby, how you doing? How you doing? Uh, good. And he's like, uh, my name's Zane. Let's, let's get together. We've got to have coffee. I was like, really? Uh, okay. And he's, you, you pick a time play. I work, get time play. Uh, Denny's, Tuesday morning, 6.30 a.m. I got one hour. Okay, I'm there. And Zane Pronte came and met me that very next Tuesday. And I come to find out he's a navigator. A navigator. And he's, that's an evangelist, a discipler. That organization was amazing. And Zane just said, Bobby, I want to meet with you. You're new at this. I know you're new at this. I can tell. Let's, let's, let's meet every week. And I said, okay. Because I really wasn't quite sure about all this. Zane changed the course of my life. The, the very next week, he says, hey, Bobby, learn this. And he gave me a little slip of paper. He says, I want you to memorize this. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I said, okay. And I learned that. And then we spent a couple of weeks, and he talked to me about the theology of it. He talked to me about salvation and eternal life, and he taught me things. And, and then a few weeks later, Bobby, here, hey, here you go, here. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I memorized it. And, and, and we talked about it. And we'd go through that and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. I memorized it and we talked about it. He discipled me. For two years we met. He changed the course of my faith and my life. Zane Pronte, a navigator, scared the heck out of me when he approached me and said, hey, we got to talk. <laughs> Discipleship means something. It's important. Our church, one of the things that under Scott's leadership and, and, and all of our staff that we're so excited about is, is that we're going to be a church that disciples you should always be getting discipled. We're on a journey together. I'm still getting discipled. I'm still learning in my walk. But also to give to others, to disciples others, that there's more of this going on. To get discipled and to be a discipler. That's our goal in 2024. Some of you have been around a long time. You have so much wisdom. You have so much to give. We've got to help you find a way to connect with people and give that to them. And we are committed to that in 2024. Zane Pronte. I'll never forget that guy. So what does discipleship look like for you in 2024? Uh, yours as well as others. Pray about it. Talk about it. Husbands, wives, families, friends. What does this mean? Small groups. What does this mean for you in 2024? Be intentional about it. Next steps, small groups. Good discipleship happens in small groups. I'll just say that one out loud for sure. As well as fellowship, which is the next ship we are looking at. If you've been a Christian even for a short while, you've probably heard the word koinonia. It's one of those popular words. It was easy to say, and everybody knew what koinonia meant. Fellowship. It's a direct translation. It means fellowship. In our culture today, we might say community. That would be okay to say community. Our, our small group community, 
our small group fellowship. Uh, this word koinonia uh, comes directly out of Acts, uh, uh, in Acts 2. And uh, we see it right there in the passage in Acts 2. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I was in a small group for uh, a couple of years. I had actually... After I was saved, a few years later, I went to school and started getting a seminary degree and got to working at a church, and I ended up, I'm leading a small group, and just a wonderful, mature group of Christians that all knew more about the scriptures than I did. I was just still learning as I was going, and uh, that two years was amazing. We made friends. I made lifetime friends there for the first time in my life, probably, just coming off living on the streets and everything else. I, I truly experienced what fellowship was. And I knew those people had my back. And I had their back. Fellowship is important. The bottom line is this. We're not created or called to do this alone. We need one another. If you're, you're uh, uh, coming to church, if you're just coming to church and leaving and nothing else, I just would submit to you, that you're missing out on so much more that God has for you, that the body of Christ has to offer to you. We're not made to do this alone. This is a place where we make friends, good friends, lasting friends. Another way for Koinonia to really happen well is to serve together. And for those of you that have been serving here for a long time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Serve alongside somebody for a few years. You get to know each other. You develop a relationship. And that brings us to our final ship. It's kind of like the supply ship that feeds all the other ships. Stewardship. It's the word okomonos. Okomonos, that's that fancy little Greek word. It means the manager or the manager of household. That would be a translation of that word. And okomonos managed the household of the master. One description says a steward, manager, superintendent to whom the proprietor has entrusted the management of his affairs, the care of receipts and expenditures, and the duty of dealing out the proper portion to the entire household. The steward managed the property. He owned nothing. He managed that, and that's who we are. We are stewards of what God has given. And this is not just about money. All right? People seem to jump that stewardship is about money. Stewardship is about managing all that God has provided. He's provided us life and skills and, yes, money, all those different things. In the Old Testament, they had sheep and, you know, they had their crops. Yeah, they had some coins too, different things that, that they, they worshiped with, if you will, or they gave with. But that's not the only thing that stewardship is. It's about committing our time, committing our talents to the glory of God. That's stewardship. And yes, we, we give unto God. Back to Acts 2. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I, I think it, later on it says... Good things happened out of that. But I think that probably started out of necessity. There's this small group of people that are followers of Jesus. And to the entire city, they were blasphemers. 
They were heretics. All right, yeah, Jesus, he's the Messiah. The guy that died on the cross, uh huh. You said he rose from the dead, but nobody can find the body. That's the Messiah. No, they, 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 they weren't going to believe that. And so this little group is probably trying to just hang together. But I think you get this picture. They, they invested everything they had in each other. Not only did they love each other, they served each other. They provided for each other. They did what was necessary. And the outside people looked in at that group and said, I may disagree with what they believe, but something special is going on in there. And they grew. And they grew. And later on it says, they enjoyed the favor of the people. The non-believing people, they see the beauty of a life in Christ and they wanted to be a part of that. Listen, when I first started going to that Southern Baptist church, kicking and screaming, just trying to somehow hold on to my marriage and stuff, I went to this place and I sat in there and my wife had been going for a while and we were a mess and people knew the kind of man I was. And yet they were kind to me. Every week, certain people, they'd come and search me out and talk with me and laugh with me and, and, and invest in me. And I, as much as I did not want to like those people, I liked them. They're goofy, weird, Southern Baptist people that after about four or six weeks, I'd walk in and I'd be like, where's Earl at? I'm looking for them. There was something special going on in that body of believers. And it drew me to them. See, they served. They were stewards of what God had given to them. And they took this and made it into that. At the Lamb's Chapel, listen, we, we've got some amazing servants here. I see you guys and guyettes here every week serving, coming together. I see our deacons our ushers, our elders. I think for the first time, maybe a, a lot of you might have never seen all of our elders up on the stage here together at the same time with Pastor Scott when he approved the budget. I'm sure some of you knew all our elders from before, but that might have been new for some of you all there. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I, I, didn't, I wasn't looking for a job, but I, Scott and I connected, heard the need, and I met the elders. And I said, this is a place where I could serve. You have good men here that love the Lord. They've made some incredibly difficult decisions and been through some incredibly difficult times and they still love and serve and give with all their hearts. And so I, I look at them, as I said, our deacons, our ushers, our, our parking team, our children, our young adults, uh, kitchen staff, caregivers, security. I, I'm sure I'm missing some of you and if I did, I apologize. There's so many opportunities to serve and connect and bring glory to God. I just want to encourage you in this. This is one of those, uh, what are you going to do in terms of stewardship in 2024? All right? Find a place to serve. Get connected. You might try a place and go, this isn't it. Try another one. You'll find a spot. Now, when I first got here, let's, just, let's talk about money. Yeah, that's the one where everybody goes, oh. When I first got here, I was told politely, you know, uh, that this is not a church that's used to hearing about money being preached from the pulpit. That's just not been the culture of the church. That's, I was told that by a couple folks there. And I don't know how that 
was handled in the past, my first thought was, why? Why wouldn't we do that? Jesus did it all the time. Jesus talked about money uh, a lot. And back then, as I said, it was sheeps and crops and some coins and different things. But today, our resource, the way we give an offering unto the Lord, uh, aside from the service that we do, is through our offering, that act of giving. Listen, that was the first part of worship was the offering. That's where it all started. Long time ago in the Old Testament, they brought an offering and came unto the Lord. It's an act of worship, and it's an act of discipleship. Look at these scriptures up here. I think there's a whole bunch of scriptures. Yeah, there's a ton of them there. And that is like a small percentage of scriptures. I went on the good old internet, can't beat that, and just put in Bible passages that mention money. Hundreds came up. There, there, there's all kinds of passages that talk about money. Now, not all of them are about giving. Some were about, you know, taking care of the needy, the poor, and the oppressed. And, and it's about wisdom and some about uh, uh, our finances and, and, and being wise with our finances, how we use it. Yeah, and some were about giving. That's for sure. But hear me closely. This is not about the amount. And the New Testament uh, teachings on giving is not about the tithe, per se, or anything else. It's about heart. Paul said this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's a great passage. And that word cheerful is kind of a little bit softened. In our, it's a light word in our culture today. It's not, not anything serious. I, I would translate that just to give the weight that it meant there. For God loves a giver that has a joyous heart. That we, our heart is joyful when we can make an offering unto God. It's part of our, our relationship with God. Our relationship is this, what I talked about earlier. It's, it's, it's more than just this. We don't do just this, and he's not asking us to do just this. It's a relationship. It comes back and forth. We give, and God gives, and we share, and God shares. God, we love, and God loves. It's about that relationship, and it, it has to do with our money. So look, in 2024, Scott and I have talked about this. We're going to talk about it. We're going to pray for our offerings. We're going to celebrate God's generosity. And when it's necessary, we're going to tell you what's going on, what's happening. It's an important part of our faith. So what will your stewardship look like in 2024? Not just your giving, but your stewardship of all that God has provided for you. Worship, discipleship, fellowship, and stewardship. I encourage you to pray, talk, consider, and decide. Pastor Sean and I were talking about this upcoming message and a couple other things and, and stumbled across that, uh, the seven habits of highly effective people. And one of the habits is begin with the end in mind. Be intentional. Vision is a good thing. Be intentional. Think about 2024. What does my faith walk look like in 2024? What's it going to be? Just don't show up and you know, be serendipity. Be intentional. God will take you where he wants you to go, but there is nothing wrong 
with being inattentional about this. I had a good friend, Ken Davis, that once says, if you don't know what your target is, you probably won't hit it. Well, that's wisdom. Let's be a church that hits the target for the glory of God. Now, what does that look like for us every day? Uh, well, behaviorally, I mean, in, in, our, in our lives, what's it look like? I, maybe something like be kind, be trustworthy, be generous, be hospitable, be forgiving, be merciful, work hard, pray a lot, worship wholeheartedly. In other words, a people that undeniably reflect the goodness of God. Father, we uh, give you this time, and uh, Lord, we look forward to 2024. Lord, help me to pay attention to these words as I move forward and to be intentional about what this will look like in my life. But always open to the call and movement of your Holy Spirit as we go forward. Thank you for your goodness in 2023. We look forward to what you're going to do in our church in 2024. And all of God's people said...